Well, our names are Teresa and Gumby. Welcome to Escaping Society. We wrote our own song so we wouldn't have to pay for anyone else's copyright infringement. And we live in a van and we eat from the trash. Making this podcast open for cash. You better listen up because we probably won't last. Because we can't compete with nonsense. Hypnotizing nonsense. Welcome to Escaping Society, Mile Marker 141. I'm Gumby. I'm Teresa. And I have had the first bad cold I've had in at least four years. I mean, I was like couch ridden yesterday as we, uh, I think we shared it with our listeners. We're doing like a two week pet sitting uh, stint here. And uh, yeah, it's been remarkable because I've always gotten like, if there's a bad cold coming through, I get it. So at least once a year, probably more than once a year, um, before we moved into the van, I'd come down with like a really bad cold. Like I'd have to just be in bed all day and, you know, piling up the Kleenexes, that kind of thing. Um, but since be- living outside and sleeping in the van, we've, we've got plenty of days that we feel like crap. You know, we're going through this or going through that. But that just kind of went away. I, I'd ne- In those four years, I had not been uh, down and out sick. And sure enough, we get back inside for two weeks, and man, I get hit with the the spring cold. So uh, Teresa's going to have to carry this episode, oh boy, mostly because, uh, yeah, like I said, I'm still like feeling pretty bad. And uh, it's funny that uh, usually I'm the one that's a stickler for our schedule. I'm like, no, we got to do the episodes. We got to get through a season, twelve episodes, and then we can decide how long to take a break. And now Teresa's the one that's really kind of like wanting to do this episode. Um, for me, the way I feel, I could care less. I really could care less about my schedule or anything. So I'm going to try to follow her lead and roll with it because I feel bad. All I care about is just like, uh, laying down and not feeling, (laughs) well, I'm going to feel bad anyway, but. Oh, well, I'm sorry. I made you do it, hon. I was just trying to get it done so you wouldn't be yelling at me. I ain't yelling at you. (laughs) I'm just glad I ain't got a Ferengi in my asshole. Oh, yeah, well, since you brought it up, my uh, my little say hello to my little friend um, that I was I was having a butt hurt last episode. Well, it turns out that uh, you do have to be careful what you wish for. Now, I did not wish for hemorrhoids, uh, <laughs> and uh, I didn't even know that there was such a thing as a thrombosed hemorrhoid, which is like a blood clot. But, but, I think that's exactly what I had. And luckily, um, when I wished for, like when I was uh, coming to this pet sitting house, I was like, man, I hope I can like take as many sit down baths as possible. Cause that's something that's a treat that I don't get to do as much when we're living outside. I mean, we don't have hot springs right around here. So, like, sitting down in some nice warm water just doesn't happen. And lo and behold, uh, I did get to have a lot of baths or sit-down baths because I got this thing. And, boy, it, like, uh, reached its peak of pain, like, the day that Gumby left to go back out to the country. And I, I was hurting so bad, I was, like, crying and 
like inverting my body thinking that maybe I could have the blood like go back to my heart. So I was like kind of doing a headstand on the couch in a way. (laughs) It was so, so painful. But luckily it's on its way out or back in or I'm not exactly (coughs) sure where those things go. But hopefully it won't be a problem. Um, Didn't you say Shannon from North Carolina? I'm going to call her as if it was a listener right in. Because Shannon has written in before. I actually grew up with her. Didn't you say she recommended cornstarch? I believe so. We had just I just tried cornstarch on a pot because things like that, apparently you can seal a pot with, <clears throat> completely ruined my bowl. It fell apart. <clears throat> so Don't use cornstarch if you want to seal pottery. Do not. Yeah, do not do that. And uh, apparently cornstarch is good for making thick gravies, so I don't know... <laughs> You want to apply that to your asshole? Uh, and if it's got any effect like it did on my bowl, and I got to assume that that fired pottery bowl is tougher than your rubbery asshole. Um, I'm not sure, though. I don't think you want your asshole to, to have the same fate as that bowl. It just crumbled. I picked it up and it, it fell apart. Wow. And I like the way Shannon from North Carolina, like you've got, you've got a godded asshole. And then it's like, she's the, the godded asshole fairy godmother that just pops up and like, did someone say godded asshole? It's like fairy dust that you just yes. sprinkle into your Sprinkle some cornstarch. And it probably does work. Luckily I, um, I did not have to do that because like right after she sent that message was like the most painful part of it then it like started to subside and even though like all the different advice online um you probably do find stuff that says like don't drink alcohol I had a little bit of red wine left from making a rabbit stew and I had that and I believe wine is a blood thinner and I'm gonna go out on a limb I'm not a doctor or anything but maybe in moderation a little bit of wine will not only like calm you down, maybe help you go to sleep or take a nap. But I think it might have helped. I'm going to say it helped because I really, I like drinking red wine. There you go. Learned you something. If you have a little baby Ferengi hatching out of your butthole like a gremlin, try some wine. Or (coughs) cornstarch. You decide. Did you try the cornstarch? I didn't. I didn't because I didn't have to because it started going down. Well, I'm going to uh, go against the uh, godded asshole fairy godmother. (gasps) And uh, say that, uh, yeah, the pot, um, I don't think you want to put it on your own pot. (laughs) But I haven't tried it either, so. Needless to say, you know, we've been in a house, well, you've been in a house less than me because you went out to the country. Um, But we've been kind of just holed up in this house, trying to go outside when it's nice and sunny. But the traffic noise is just, you can't really concentrate on anything when you're outside. If you're outside here, you just got to like sit in a chair and just close your eyes and pretend that you're hearing the waves at the ocean or something. Cause it's just, it's not a, uh, a peaceful experience. So we've been inside watching some movies here and there, watching some shows and uh, came across something that I wasn't going to watch because I thought it was one of those shows that people are all talking about. It's, there's like a, a, popular buzz around it. Uh, Kai the Hatchet Wielding Hitchhiker. Now, if you followed us for any length of time, you know that we have done some hitchhiking in our younger days, back before we had hemorrhoids and pneumonia. Um, 
And so Kai, the hatchet-wielding hitchhiker, we were like, all right, fine. It keeps coming up on the uh, the house's Netflix account for a uh, recommended for you. I was skeptical because every time there's something that's kind of like counterculture that we do, whether it's like dumpster diving or um, even going to food pantries, you know, like you'll hear all these horror stories. And of course, hitchhiking is something that you can't just be uh, stupid about it. You got to keep your mind turned on. You have to be observant so you don't get yourself into a situation. But even the title, you know, Kai the Hatchet Wielding Hitchhiker makes you think like, oh my God, who am I picking up or whose car am I getting into? If you haven't watched it, if you can find it for free, it is entertaining. Um, and something that I didn't realize when we first started watching it is that it's a true story. For some reason, I thought I saw that it was like in the in the um, style of a true story. But no, it is a true story. And I won't ruin it for you, but I will say that there's a lot of twists and turns, just like there is in any real life story. And uh, it's kind of it's kind of the stuff that I think Gumby um, tends to tends to enjoy because of that. It's it's not just a uh, a flat character. It's a real human being. I might ruin it for you. Oh. You remember right. back in the days Spoilers. before we had the word spoiler? Yeah. You remember that? You remember when we just talk about shit that we liked and like, <laughs> you know, and then it became this thing and it became a serious thing. It was like when you, if you didn't say spoiler and warn somebody, you just ruined it. You ruined it for them. You're an awful human being. I remember the first time I ran into that word spoiler and I was like, oh, all right. I kind of get what that is. But yeah, I just, I don't know. I was thinking about that the other day, like. When I grew up, that wasn't a thing. If you saw a movie and somebody else didn't, they didn't resent you for talking about it. It was like, wow, that sounds pretty cool. I want to see it. Okay, spoil it. Oh, I, I'm not not necessarily going to spoil it. I didn't have any. I'm just not going to hold back. I'm not going to worry about whether I'm spoiling it or not. But I did enjoy that series. Um, for one thing, of course, of course, if there's something about a hitchhiker, uh, we're going to be led to see some kind of horror story. Uh, that not just the title of the hatchet wielding hitchhiker. Um, I think, I think this is probably if you just looked up the movie. I don't think I'm going to spoil. God damn it! Even trying not to spoil it, I'm like focused on whether I'm spoiling it or not. But um, yeah, he ended up uh, actually killing someone um, after hitting someone with a hatchet, which got him famous as a like internet sensation. And then uh, he winds up in prison at the end for. Uh, Probably killing another. I, I think it looked pretty convincing to me. I think he killed the other guy, but it was interesting. For one thing, my first impression of this guy Kai is uh, I've run into a lot of people. You run into that kind of energy on the road a lot. Um, he was described by the reporter as being extremely charismatic. Um, I don't know. There was just something about him that every time I've run into that kind of personality, I avoid them. I've learned to avoid these people. They'll talk about like. Uh, you know, the rich, they'll talk about, like, they'll say all the right things. They'll, they'll really be mad at the right people. Um, Maybe embrace the teachings of specifically Jesus or, like, the Buddha or something. Like, they might say things that you're like, wow, they've got a lot of good insights. But there's just something about their energy when I, I talk to people like that, that it's like something's missing. I don't know. There's something superficial about the way you're talking about this. There's, I, I, when I look deeply at those people, it's like they haven't really thought about it. And 
it's really hard to describe because it's a really energetic kind of thing that I just have learned. It's it's chaotic. Um, and Kai was described as someone who like wouldn't know if you were laughing with him or at him. And that I that stuck with me because that's like, yep, that's a big part of what I've known about that personality. That person will get offended really quickly. And sometimes like they are so much in their head that even though they might be mad at the same people you're mad at, like, oh, the rich. I'm not one of those like white rich people. And it's easy to go along with that. Like even in our early episodes, as we've said, you know, we were kind of talking a lot about the rich and about white people. And uh, now we've had a whole movement that I feel like seems to come from that kind of energy that I see in Kai of like, oh, we weren't really – we were using the same words, but we weren't really talking about the same thing, were we? And so those people, I mean, they can just decide you've offended them or you're on the wrong side or you're an enemy, and it's got nothing to do with what you said. They're so deeply tied up in their interpretation um, that you, they're dangerous to be around. They could turn on you in a minute, and you have no control over it. They could just interpret something you said, and it's up to them to what degree they interpret it as like how bad of a transgression you've made. And depending on how bad they interpret that transgression that you may not have even have made will determine how much they react to it. I just – I don't like being around people like that. They're not calm. They're not centered. They're not grounded. And uh, you know, those people often come from trauma that they couldn't have helped. Yeah. But that kind of trauma in someone's past, which – Unfortunately, you know, at the same time I'm saying, of course, they pick out the hitchhiker, the hatchet-wielding hitchhiker. But people that do wind up kind of on the streets and stuff, they often do come from a place of trauma. And that kind of intense trauma that can make someone disconnect from their lives can fuck you up. I, I've I've learned like now in my uh, latening 40s, my experience with people is a lot of those people out there on the road, they're kind of fucked up. I mean, that's true. That's just true. Now, there's not a lot of Henry David Thoreau's out there that went out there for the sheer poetry of the experience. We're not talking about Jack Kerouac. We're talking about a lot of, like, traumatized people that are carrying around ideas, little bits and pieces and sound bites that they picked up from other people or books they've read um, that they're interpreting in really weird ways. So anyway, that was just kind of a tangent when I was uh, – watching Kai, and uh, I found it a very interesting story as it unfolded, um, including like how it affected him to suddenly be famous. He wasn't trying to be famous. He was just being himself, and then he was thrust into all this fame and fortune and uh, opportunities to have like his own reality show. Yeah, it was just like watching a train wreck, man. It was like <laughs> this was not a person who was set up mentally for this kind of leap. And uh, he just had no, I don't know, no uh, it's like, no grounding. It's like uh, there are people who have what we might call a moral compass, but their moral compass is like made from a different, uh, it's cut from a different cloth or something. You know that saying? Like he seemed to have some awareness of like what's what's right or wrong what's it's kind of hard to describe but but in the end I don't think I would have necessarily killed someone you know what I mean like I wouldn't have gone that far unless of course like he was saying it was in self-defense so it's 
kind of one of those things that makes you talk after you watch it for quite a while. And now we're getting into such a level of detail that the listeners aren't going to know what we're talking about unless we uh, go full on into it. So the the self-defense, he uh, apparently was found like with a list of possible sex offenders and pedophiles. And uh, after his fame and fortune, um, he met up with this guy, this lawyer, this older guy, that for whatever reason, I don't know what this is based on, but um, I got to say, it sounded pretty suspicious. Like, I think the guy probably was looking for a young guy on the road, and mm. you will run into that. I got to tell you, in my years of being out in the world, I've never been approached by a um, a gay older man except when I was hitchhiking. I got picked up in Ohio, and a guy asked if he could put his hand on my crotch. And he said it in such a way as if uh, that was kind of the understood thing. Like, it was okay for him to ask that, and like he's had success with that before. I think people do see transients, people on the streets, as a pool to draw from for sexual favors. And I think that's going to draw particularly uh, predatorial people, people who want a level of perversity they're not finding anywhere else. So they'll dip into this young pool of like anarchists, like we don't play by the same rules and, you know, they can get things from them that they can't necessarily get so easily from other people. So I do believe that older lawyer he met up with uh, was seeking him out for a sexual favor. According to Kai, the guy raped him, drugged him, and raped him. But then there's footage that kind of is like Kai gives him a hug after the night he supposedly was raped and had cu- woke up with cum on his face and can't remember anything, buys him a train ticket, and then Kai, like, something falls through with the train ticket, and he goes back to the guy's house. It's just really suspicious. Yeah. The whole thing was really suspicious. But that ended up being one of the things I liked about the series was uh, or the show was because it was just a movie, right? It wasn't like a mini series. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the things I liked about it is it's thought provoking. It leaves you wanting to talk about it and think about what you just saw. And I like shows like that. Yeah. So I would say if you can find a way to watch it for free, um, I would check it out. And uh, write us and let us let us know what you think about it. Or if you've had any experiences, as we always say, like asking for listener write-ins, if you've ever gone hitchhiking, good or bad experiences. Um, yeah. And like I said, for me, like the main thing that I, I left with that isn't so much the crime, like that he hit the guy in the head with a hatchet. Uh, I won't go into that story too much. He thought he was defending someone, might have actually been defending someone. Um but that got him famous, and then the murder at the end. To me, that wasn't the most interesting part as the guy's personality, just mm-hmm. his personality. Because to me, like I said, he's so emblematic of specific kind of people I've met. And he's the kind of person that's really attractive when you're younger, especially if you're someone who's really counterculture, like I was, like a lot of people are, that are kind of – whether you're hitchhiking or not, you're kind of into that. You're kind of like think it's interesting that people are like living on the streets that are hitchhiking. They're cool. They're uh, they know how to play instruments and sing and stuff. Yeah, they hate rich people. They they talk about like the white colonizers. They 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 say all the shit that's like wow, this is cool. They're edgy. They're anarchists. They're like kind of saying all the stuff that like is the opposite of what I was taught in school at least back in the '80s. Now it's kind of what is being taught in school. Um, <laughs> But yeah, now that I'm older, I just see it so differently. It's like, man, those people aren't cool. They're fucking ungrounded. They're unrooted. They're they're dangerous. They're unpredictable to themselves and to other people. And it's just, I don't know. That's not what I'm about anymore. So for me, it was interesting in, in that way. 
Yeah, we uh, we definitely, on our hitchhiking adventures, encountered some people, not a lot, but some people where uh, Gumby reminded me that if we are not, what did you say, the weirdest ones in the car? Yeah, yeah. One <laughs> dude picked us up that had already picked up a hitchhiker that had this little poodle with him, this guy with bunny ears and shit that called himself Pinky. I mean, a really like crazy <laughs> looking dude. And then the guy that picked him up was like, had a little car and he had jammed in three hitchhikers, me and Teresa and plus the other guy he already had in his car, all of our backpacks and everything. I mean, we were like sardines. It's like a hatchback little, yeah. Yeah. And this guy was like kind of a beefy looking, like redneck Virginia mountain kind of looking dude. And uh, he was just giving me, yeah, it's that vibe, man. I, I, I really, some things I've learned to look for. One thing, energy, intuition. Your intuition can be wrong, but trust it as a flag. Trust it as an impression. It doesn't have to be your final impression. It could be wrong, but listen. If something sets you off, like, huh, something's weird about this, explore further. Another thing this guy did that picked us up was he started fishing. Pay attention to what people talk about. If a guy picks you up, especially if you're traveling with a woman, and he just somehow finds his way to talking about prostitution... That's a fucking red flag. There's a billion and one things to talk about in this whole big wild universe. So for a guy to bring up prostitution, um, that's a a suspicious thing. He didn't need to talk about that. He's fishing. He's wanting to see your reaction. He's wanting to see what you say. And he specifically wants to see what you say about that. Bam, two red flags. Third red flag, too good to be true. The guy's got fucking all this camping gear, all this stuff that he keeps saying, man, I just want to give this to you. I'm not using it. Hey, if I can take you back to where I live, man, I got all this stuff I'm going to give you. You know, y'all just come back with me. I got to stop at this one place. That was a, a third red flag, that guy that picked us up. Too good to be true. He wants to give us all these gifts. And I'm telling him, we've got everything we need. I'm not like, wow, that'd be cool. I'm like, no, actually, I, how would we carry it? He keeps pushing it. He wants to give us all these gifts. And there's opportunities to make money, by the way. Mm. Unspecified opportunities to make money. Three red flags. And the fourth red flag that I can think of right off the top of my head, the dude wants to stop and uh, not be around us and talk to somebody else. That's suspicious. He got a phone call while we were riding with him and uh, just kind of talked in a very brief way, in a way like that was kind of cagey, like he didn't want to divulge too much. And then he had dropped us off, all three of us hitchhikers, And he supposedly had to go do something for an hour, and he wanted to pick us back up and take us back to his place. At that point, Teresa was, like, warming more and more to, like, wow, this sounds great. Oh, I did not. You did, too. You were actually wanting to stick around and, like, catch that ride because he was going to give us a ride further to where we wanted to go. You know, you were wanting to go along with that ride. I was the one picking up all the red flags in this case, and I'm the one that, like, at first he – the other hitchhiker, when we got out, he had some weed. Teresa usually, um, at that point especially, didn't like smoking weed with strangers. She was pretty new at it. I felt like, well, we're in a public place, one hitchhiker. I'm not worried about smoking a little bit of weed. So we got high, and then we kind of went off and did our own thing. And really, what I, I wanted I to do was. I any of that. You did. You took a hit. You didn't mm-hmm. smoke a lot. I only took about two hits. But we went off, and what I really wanted to do was talk to Teresa about continuing with this ride. At first, I was just like, look. Here's my concerns. Here's what I noticed. And uh, Teresa even gave the guy a hug. So that was one of the things. I'm like, 
It's cool to give people hugs in certain situations. This is not one of those situations. If you got a guy that's already putting out red flags and everything, you want to keep a little bit of distance. That's not an appropriate time to give a dude a hug. You know, it's not like me being jealous, like, did you give that guy a hug? It's like, did you give that guy a hug? Yeah, I admit that was not a good move on my part. Yeah, just in that situation. It's not about the hug. It's about this whole situation. And now, like, we do not want a closer connection with this guy. I'm starting to see this more and more. So I'm telling Teresa all these details. And then, like, she's seeing it like, oh, wow, yeah, I hadn't really thought about it like that. And one of the things I've learned is if you have a doubt, fucking don't take that ride when you're hitchhiking. Not uh, worth it. Yeah, there will be another ride. There is no reason when any red flags are set off to continue that. And that's what Teresa was alluding to. I said, Teresa, when we're not the weirdest people in the car, uh, we need to be suspicious of that because we're pretty fucking <laughs> weird. So, yeah, that you know that was one of those energies like that you know Mm -hmm. like kai i would have been suspicious if somebody like kai would have picked us up and like hey man you want to come back to our place like we're gonna party and everything i'm like that's trouble there's a chance it could be fun people like kai could be fun to hang out with and you might be able to hang out with them like uh you know 50 times have a great time fucking do some cool new drugs you've never done before nobody messes with you it's great but trouble is coming Everybody I've known in my life that has that kind of energy that's like, woo, you know, like party wide open, like down in a bottle of Jack Daniels in one gulp, um, trouble's coming, even if they're not causing it. And usually they are. In some way, they're bringing it to themselves like a bullshit magnet. Mm. Trouble's coming their way, and if you're hanging out with them, you're going to get hit with the shrapnel. So unless you're into that kind of fucking Jerry Springer bullshit drama, it's better just do your own thing. You know, be friendly. Uh but I'd rather spend time with like more calm, grounded, I guess, normal seeming people. And I don't even know what I mean by that. I'm talking more of an energetic kind of thing. People that just seem to be a little more self-contained. I trust that more. I've learned to trust that through experiences of like uh, interacting with people that were so effusively just crazy. Like, oh, I'm not going to like oh, another thing about this guy, Kai. This is a really good emblematic thing. He got on the Jimmy Kimmel show and you're supposed to get in this car with Jimmy Kimmel and open the door and pretend like you're driving. It's his little shtick. And that's how he interviews. And of course, Kai's a hitchhiker. So he picks up his hitchhiker. Kai jumps on top of the car and, uh, gets in through the window. Little things like that. It's like from a kind of young juvenile perspective, it's like, oh, that's so cool, man. He's like, oh, he's just doing his thing. No, that kind of energy is he's telling you something about himself. And I've learned that that kind of energy is volatile. Mm -hmm. Little things like that I've just learned to pick up on. And I'm not going to condemn somebody like, oh, he's one of those uh, window hoppers. I don't (laughs) hang out with window. That's not what I'm talking about. It's all put together. These are all little ways people are – they can't. They can't help but tell you about themselves, and everybody will tell you about themselves. People can't help it. They will tell you who they they are. All you have to do is listen. All you have to do is shut up long enough to let people talk and actually listen to what they're saying. Everybody tells you about themselves, and those are some ways I've learned how they tell you about themselves. Pay attention to what they want to talk about. What do they bring up? Big one, big one. So keeping in the uh, vein of people that are fucked up and maybe people who have experienced trauma, I think it was maybe not the last episode, but one of our last podcasts um, that we did, Gumby mentioned the 
the group Gays Against Groomers. And recently I took the opportunity to look at their Facebook page just to see like what they were about. I don't know, just to get a, a better understanding of what they do and who they are. And uh, this was on a day when Gumby was out in the country, so I was probably on the internet more than I should have been. But uh, <laughs> I came across this video, and this is this is stuff that happens nowadays. It's 2023. Um, we have videos on Facebook of little girls dancing for money. But not even in the way that you think. It's like her parents brought her to this drag show and um, the girl, I think, although I don't know this 100%, I think she was kind of uh, coerced into doing her little dance as a little girl, but it's kind of like a uh, provocative dance that she's doing for adults and they're waving dollar bills at her and she's going around dancing and taking the money. And, uh, I really didn't want to share the video any more than I like any more than it has already been shown because it's, it doesn't blur out the little girl's face and I'm talking little, would you say she's under 10? You would, you would probably say that Gumby 10 at the oldest. Yeah. So, um, I, I made a post on my Facebook page and this is what I said. I'm having a tough time here. I've been writing to my friend who has a seven-year prison sentence for, in his words, watching videos of, quote, teenage girls dancing. It's difficult because it's kind of an embarrassing situation. I try not to ask him too many details about it because it doesn't really matter at this point. He's still my friend, he's been charged, and is currently serving his time. But today, I got on Facebook, and this is the the video I'm now going to be talking about, and I'm confronted with a post of a little girl, and we're talking definitely younger than 13, I'd say definitely younger than 10, dancing provocatively while adults around her throw dollar bills at her. She's at an event with her parents as a minor, and even though I cannot tell for sure what's going on in her head, Her expression looks like she's been encouraged to do something that she doesn't really want to do. But to be fair, I really don't know, and neither does anyone else except the little girl herself. I was going to share this video along with my post so you'd know exactly what I'm talking about, but it's of a little girl dancing in a stylized, kind of sultry, adult way, and I just couldn't see spreading that out there more. I don't have enough savvy to try and blur out her face, nor could I find a video with her face already blurred out where there wasn't additional footage of the little girl with her face not blurred out. So I let it go at that point. Um, This happened in West Springfield, Massachusetts, and there happens to be like some sort of maybe local newspaper um, that has a a website where this video is. But then there's also, like they blurred out her face as much as they could in the video. But then Right underneath it, there's a compilation of pictures that her mom posted on Facebook that's kind of like one of those um, slideshow albums, and it's like showing the little girl with all the different drag queens and at different events, and I just was like, I was really uh, sickened by it all. So I go back to my post here. Um, It's hours later, though, and it's still really bothering me. 
I don't have kids, so I don't really have any skin in the game. And for those of you who know me in real life, you know or should know that I'm pretty much a live and let live kind of person. I have no hatred in my heart for people of various sexual orientations. Okay. And I certainly don't want to start policing adults and what they do, of course, expecting the same courtesy. But there is something about this video that is really unsettling. I didn't vote for Trump. I'm not a right-wing, conservative, Christian, any of that. And please keep that in mind. I still can't believe that I actually Googled little girl dancing for money at drag show to see if I could find the video with her face blurred. Now I've got something they can use against me in court, right? Surprisingly, there are quite a number of videos of children dancing for money at drag shows. And there is. And it is, uh, it is very disturbing. So I'm left feeling really conflicted. On the one hand, I want to live in a world where people have the freedom to do basically whatever they want, so long as they aren't hurting another person, which, yeah, good luck with that. But on the other hand, I really disagree with where things are going as far as the freedoms for people to subject their own children to sexually explicit situations that even I as an adult have trouble interpreting. Like, what the fuck did I just watch? After all, my friend went to prison for watching videos of teenage girls dancing, girls that were not as young as the girl I saw today, but they were that young at one time. Sex and sexuality are very powerful energies that the majority of people don't understand. Like many powers, there needs to be something to create balance. I think we've blown straight past the middle ground and are going full speed into something very scary for adults now and the budding adults of the future. Can we really say that exposing children to more and more overtly sexual situations is helpful? Was Alfred Kinsey, the father of the sexual revolution in the United States, correct in his observations that babies are born sexual and can benefit from manual sexual stimulation, whether they cry and scream, convulse, or lay rigid? Do many of our social problems stem from sexual repression in childhood? Is this just a turning point where our culture begins to accept that children are sexual beings and should not be sheltered from sexual encounters? Or where to draw the line? I personally, as you listeners know, don't think it's good, a good idea to continue normalizing the sexualization of children. But in the spirit of a civil debate, Maybe someone out there can share with me why they think that it is. Now, I've had quite a number of comments on uh, this post, but I've only had one person that has jumped in there who I know in real life. Before you launch into that, yeah. can I just respond to your yeah. your uh, what you posted? Yeah. I think there is... Uh, for one thing, I agree with Kinsey, Freud, and other people that say we're sexual at birth, based on my own experience. Um, I feel like I was sexual for as long as I can remember. The problem is I think things get conflated. Like Kinsey said that, but then went so far as to say children can benefit from sexual relationships with an adult. You also said in your post something about could this be the beginning of just having a broader view of uh, children's sexuality so we don't shelter them from sexual encounters. <laughs> now, a lot of things are getting conflated. It's like, is it this bunch of things or this bunch of things? And I think a lot of the things that are getting bunched together don't need to be bunched together, and I don't bunch them together. For instance, 
I don't think children should be sheltered from sex. It's the adult you have to worry about who wants to have sexual relationships with the child. That's where the danger lies. Children who are exploring their own sexuality, playing doctor with each other, I mean, you definitely have households that are like just severely punish a child for anything that seems a little sexy or them playing with each other. I think that should be pretty much, unless they're doing something like seriously dangerous, they're exploring. That's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. Children's sexuality, however they want to explore it at their own pace with each other, I think that's how we learn. It's legitimate. It's when adults want to intervene that I think more often than not what you're dealing with is not a healthy adult who just wants to help children. It's a predator. It's someone who wants to exploit children, who has a perverse um, relationship with sex themselves that is looking for that outlet. And that's dangerous. That's what people need to look out for. You asked me a good question when we were talking about this, Teresa, in uh, The Girl Dancing. You said, and this was a really good scenario to a platform for looking at this. You said, what if she was just out in the living room? Like, it was your family. You're sitting in the living room, and she does the same dance. She comes through, you know, kind of strutting her stuff in the sultry dance. Well, I agree. I don't think that's a big problem. You know, like, to have such a severe reaction to it, like, don't you ever do that, young lady. You go to your room. Like the same child. Yeah. To have the opposite extreme reaction to that, you are also sexualizing the child. Mm. The child's just playing. Maybe she saw something on TV. You might warn her. You might, like, in a calm tone, like, be careful about, like, uh, you know, what you do in public because people will interpret it in ways that you might not mean it to. There might be a platform for a little bit of a conversation there, but she didn't do anything wrong. There's nothing wrong with a 10-year-old girl that is goofing off and does something that in a context like in a bar or something would have a whole different meaning. The problem is when adults get involved and encourage it. And I would say this is true in the living room too. If that same girl, that was my daughter, she's goofing off and I'm just like, oh Jesus, here she goes with that little bit she does, you know, and I'm just like letting it go. And I think that's the appropriate thing. Like, you know, whatever, she's goofing off. If I start giving her dollar bills, (laughs) which is what the people in this, the adults in this bar were doing, now I am encouraging her. Now what path am I encouraging her on? Is that a path that tends to lead to happiness? Or is it a path that tends to lead to rape, sexual abuse, exploitation, uh, a lot of fucking emotional trauma, um, objectification, a lot of bad shit that not only should I not wish that for my daughter, I shouldn't wish that for any kid, any fucking kid. That's the problem. She does that dance that might have been okay in the living room, but now she's among a bunch of adults who are encouraging it, are cheering her, are giving her dollar bills, letting her profit financially from uh, a sexual display, a little girl in front of adults. That's where it goes wrong. And you showed another video. I don't know if it was the same girl or a similar situation, but there was a black woman that was watching it. And she was there for like the drag show or whatever. Oh, that was a different one, yeah. Yeah. I mean, unfortunately, as you pointed out, there are multiple videos of this kind of shit. And this woman was there for the drag show. She had no problem. She wasn't uptight, you know, Christian church lady. She was just like, oh, yeah, drag show, cool. But then she's like watching this girl and she's videotaping it. She's like, what the fuck? What are these fucking people doing? What the fuck is wrong with them? What are they doing to this fucking little girl? 
It's like eleven forty-five so, at night. She says they're on the like beach in like around L.A. Yeah, and there's a drag show, and people have their kids up on stage. Uh, strutting for money. So personally, I'm not a fan of drag shows. I mean, we can have a conversation of why I don't like drag shows. But even if you don't agree with me about the drag show, you don't have to join the club of like, oh, well, I like drag shows, so I must have to like everything that they're doing here. You can be okay with a drag show for whatever reason and still want to protect children. And you brought up gays against groomers. There are people that are exactly doing that, that are in the gay community, that are okay with a lot of stuff that I might not be too keen on. But they recognize, like, man, one thing we don't do is abuse children. That's fucking sick. And, man, if we could unify on that, and I feel like more and more people are, it gives me a little bit of hope. I hope, because, unfortunately, more and more people are also congealing over this new thing that's making it okay to sexualize children in a more public way. So there's two things that are escalating here, and I really hope that the people that are opposing the abuse of children fucking amp it up quicker than the other side. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've seen, you know, it gets, it gets really um, ugly when people are trying to justify maybe something that they don't even, like I've not been to a drag show. I don't think I've, well, I might've been to a drag show long, long ago. I'm certainly not someone in, that like, you know, seeks that out, but I've definitely not been to one where there's a kid there or anything like that. Um, but I have another friend, an acquaintance who is, or was, um, what she described herself as an exotic dancer. So she is a woman who in her adult life has danced for money. And she had a post on Facebook that was saying like, how come this, and she had a picture of kind of like the Jean Benet Ramsey kind of dolled up little girls in beauty pageants. She was saying, how, how come this is okay, but you don't want your kids to uh, see like a drag queen or a drag show or participate in that because you think that's evil? I don't think either of them are good. I, I mean, if there is someone who has their daughter in a beauty pageant and is dressing her up and making her dance in provocative adult ways. I don't think that's good either. Mm-hmm. And there's a couple of tactics that I see that are used in pretty much any stance that you might find yourself in conversation with on the left right now, especially the woke left. And uh, it's Marxism. If you really want to understand what's happening on the left, some of the crazy shit that's happening, start studying Marxism a little bit in the history of Marxism. One of the stances is reversal. Um, they will turn everything upside down. If um, you are actually like uh, trying to stop people from exploiting children, they will call you the child abuser. You're trying to uh, deny their right to exist. Weird shit like that. They'll just turn everything upside down. Another thing that you'll see again and again, and this goes to what your friend's post was, why is this okay, Jean Benet Ramsey, the little beauty pageants for little girls, but not this? That's sort of a straw man fallacy. Everybody I know that opposes one also opposes the other. I'm pretty much everybody, I can't actually can't think of anybody that would admit, at least publicly, that they supported the child beauty pageant thing. Everybody, a lot of people thought that was fucking sick. I can't say everybody. Apparently somebody out there doesn't. <laughs> um, but most people oppose both. But even if, even if the people did support 
the beauty pageant for children. And I'm not just, you know, I'm talking about the specifically like doll them up like uh, sexually mature adults beauty pageant. Um, Even if you did support that, well, the question is, do you think that was wrong? And if you think that's wrong, why is it okay for you to do it now? It's always this weird kind of strategy of like, hey, you did the wrong thing first, but now, instead of us not wanting to do the wrong thing and be opposed to it, really what we were mad about is we didn't get our turn. So now we're taking our turn. We get to have a turn doing the wrong thing. Hey, you got to be all racist and everything in the past? Well, that really sucked. Why? When do we get our turn? Oh, now we get to be racist. So how do you like it? It's a really bizarre way of thinking. It's like, do you oppose racism or don't you? If you oppose it, why the fuck would you want to do that? Yeah. If you oppose the exploitation of children, why the hell would you support it now? And if you don't, well, then the people in the past didn't do anything wrong. What are you mad about? Yeah, it's like they're saying two wrongs do make a right. Yeah, it's just complete <laughs> strategy. It's a complete, like, if you, it, it's, it reminds me of the political ponerology book I read where it said psychopaths have an inordinate uh, percentage There are an inordinate percentage of psychopaths in power. And the reason for that is the way our culture is set up. Psychopaths can more easily rise to the top, and they are indeed the people who would most want it. They would crave the power. And the reason why they can more easily move to the top is because they have nothing holding them back. There's no morals. They will throw anybody under the bus. They will manipulate any situation. They don't have the things that – the the conscience, the uh, ethics – that would temper someone else like, you know, there's only so far I'll go. They'll go all the way. And so, yeah, that kind of thinking just um, they don't need to have truth holding them back. They don't need to have reason holding them back. Uh, they just abandon that. And once you abandon that, everything's OK. You can have sex with children. You can uh, kill people. You can burn down buildings. You can just whatever. You know, there's no thought. There's no rootedness. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, like the the one friend or acquaintance that I had who is or was um, basically, you know, she was a stripper. Um, I don't know what her like what her full story is as far as you know how she got into that, why she did it. Um, but she was an adult when she did that, when she made that decision. And so, you know, whether or not she experienced any sort of like. Uh, uh, sexual abuse when she was younger, I don't know. But I can't imagine that through all these years, if we haven't had children uh, dancing for money, um, yeah, there's some people that, that come up and, you know, as adults, they're fucked up. But I can't imagine that having your child dance for money um, in a seductive, you know, very inappropriate way, as far as my opinion is, I don't see how that's going to turn out to be a good thing. Yeah, and for the record, I'm not for like laws against any of that, even laws against necessarily the child abuse. I'm for a culture that's got its ethics so straight that somebody would be scared to do it, that it would be uh, the social pressures of being in our culture. Nobody's there to celebrate it. Nobody's there to support it. And if you fucking uh, get caught... Or if you even try to do it, 
the consequences will be severe enough just from the community. I don't like the laws. I feel like laws are meant to impose things on people that don't agree with them. Otherwise, you don't need the law. If everybody already agrees with the ethic behind the law, the law is unnecessary. And so the law doesn't address the real thing that would change the culture, which is the ethics of the culture, the story the people live in, hence the law. So, you know, like a stripper, I don't think it's healthy. If I had a daughter, I would really discourage her from the easy money of stripping, definitely any kind of sex work. I just don't think it's healthy. With that said, I'm not in favor of any kind of law of making prostitution illegal or whatever. I mean, it just doesn't – it doesn't work to impose laws on people. You know, It, it works to uh, have conversations, to explore things where people can explore things out in the open and things that are really dangerous like the exploitation of children. People should be fearing for their fucking lives uh, when they have behavior like that, when they have uh, adults showing up at a drag show that are giving dollar bills to a girl uh, yeah. dancing sexually. Everybody in that fucking drag show should have been terrified that as soon as they stepped out that door, they were going to get their fucking ass beat, beat yeah. by the community. No law necessary. Just people recognizing that's something disgusting that you're doing in that fucking uh, building. Yeah. Yeah. So if you're if you pay attention to the um, headlines, you see lately that there's a lot more um, drag show brunches, but not even because you're looking for that information. It's because there are supposed hate groups, white supremacist groups and all, you know, anti-Semitic this and that that are opposing drag show brunches that often happen at small businesses in Surprisingly, in rural areas like in North Carolina, there's been, I guess, at least two, probably more, that have had um, protests. I'm not sure if any of them became uh, more than a peaceful protest, but uh, people who are opposing this in their community. And I guess one of the reasons um, that I wanted to be as civil as possible in my post was because I figured, you know, for there's many reasons. Number one, I'm a, a pussy-ass bitch, so... Uh, I can't handle people like being mean to me. That's, you know, right up front there. Um, but also because I wanted to see if anyone would comment that they they do attend these and quite possibly, you know, like open their eyes to if you're seeing all these headlines that there are hate groups, maybe it's because you don't understand what people are objecting to. So I got a bite, you know, like I was kind of fishing for a person that maybe attends drag shows with their kids and I got a bite. I got one. So, and I, I happen to know this person in real life. So he proceeded to uh, share that he takes his kids to a drag queen story hour up in Massachusetts. And he was aware of the video that I was talking about. He said that it happened in the state where he lives and it certainly did in Massachusetts. So, um, I'm sure he has an awareness of some of the activities that are going on, even though as a parent, he thought he was informed and he thought that there were specifically events that were like 18 plus 18 years, not months. <laughs> Maybe that got confused. Maybe that's the problem. People are bringing their babies and it's supposed to be 18 years of age. Um, and he has tried to um, 
share with his children the drag queen story hours that are age appropriate in his words. Now, I don't <laughs> I don't know if it's age appropriate, but that's coming from him as the the parent, all right? And according to him, what basically happens is there is a man that's over the top dressed up cuz it's drag, you know, he's dressed up in a lot of makeup, hair done, and his Young daughter at the time, we're talking like four, five, six years old, in his words, was really into Disney princesses. And when, I guess, his daughter saw this at the library, she was instantly enamored with the idea that there was like a Disney princess-like story hour at the library. But it wasn't a Disney princess. It was a drag queen. And so he ended up taking... Um, his daughter to that, and then I guess he has another kid that's younger and taking them to um, these quote-unquote age-appropriate events. So I asked him if the drag queen was not in costume and makeup, just regular clothing like sweatpants, a cotton t-shirt. Do you think that your daughter would have been interested to attend to hear these stories? Because he was saying also that the drag queens were telling stories about like bullying or how to, you know, how to love yourself, how to have self-esteem or whatever. And his response was, uh, the special attraction of a drag story hour would be lost if it was just a dude in sweatpants. So his daughter might not be interested in a story hour because the stories are fun. Um, oh, they would be interested maybe because the stories are fun, but wouldn't be interested any more than any other story hour. The special appeal is the over-the-top costumes. It's like Halloween or Disney to the kids. Okay. So basically, what seems to be happening here is we've got children. We know We knew this. This is nothing new. But here it is from, like, the horse's mouth, you know? We have children who are confused at what they are observing. They think they are observing someone who is like a Disney princess. They don't have any awareness that that is a man. Maybe as they get older, they start to understand, like, oh, that's not a female, that's a male. But by then... Good Lord, who only knows what kind of confusion that's going to be causing. And and when do you have that appropriate conversation to explain why you've been taking your child to see a man dress up as a woman? Gumby, do you have anything to say about that? Well, I actually got involved in this conversation. Let's see. Uh, actually, what did I say about that? Mm, What's the... You had a lot of stuff. <laughs> uh, let me pull it up a little. Sorry. So, well, all right. Let me just instead of trying to read my post. Um, for one thing, why does an adult uh, drag shows have always been adult entertainment? Even the gay community uh, knows it to be that it's adult entertainment. Um, why does an adult entertainer need to? read at a children's story hour? Why do they need to normalize themselves to children? What's the point? Um, there's a term called candy cottaging. It's like the old fable, 
you know, where there's a, the gingerbread house, the candy cottage, and the old witch that lives in it. So the kids are baited in by the, the candy cottage house only to be eaten by the witch. The same tactic. It's like you have this person that to a kid, what does a little kid see when they see a drag queen? They see a guy and funny, they see a clown. That's what they see. They see a fucking clown. Um, any kid that would like clowns would probably like a drag queen, and any kid that's scared of clowns may be scared of a drag queen for all the same reasons. Big, loud, exaggerated hair, exaggerated clownish gestures, long fingernails, bright colors. I mean, whether you're afraid of it or whether you like it, it's quite a sight to behold. It's a just it's like a living firework, you know? But why package this uh, drag show to children? If your kids, you know, people act like it's neutral, like, oh, my kid just enjoyed it. You know, it's not about the ideology or the sexualization of children. Well, I asked this guy, I said, what if it, you know, for instance, when I was a kid, first time I saw the Confederate flag, I had no idea any significance of the Confederate flag. I had seen the Dukes of Hazard. I've seen it on the top of the General Lee car. Um, I thought it was a cool-looking flag. I like the color orange. I like the stars. And I, I wanted a hat. I somehow acquired a hat. I don't remember if I talked my mom into buying it or whatever. I got a hat with a Confederate flag. And my mom told me, don't wear that in public. And that's when it first got explained to me how other people could interpret that hat. Likewise, what if a kid sees a swastika? Those are some pretty colors. It's symmetrically pleasing. I mean, uh... I got to admit, sometimes when I'm just doodling, I kind of want to doodle like a swastika shape. It's neat. It kind of, it's got that neat symmetry. Not because I'm thinking about like how much I hate Jews or anything. It's got nice colors. Solid black, bright red, bright white. What? How much do you hate Jews? Why do you ask? Oh, I just was, no, because you brought it up. I was just joking. (laughs) Well, it depends on the Jew, just like any other color. (laughs) I guess if they're a cool Jew, then I don't hate them at all. If they're a dickhead, well, and that's another thing. Um... You can hate someone, or uh, I hate to use the ha- the hate. You cannot like someone who is black, who's Jewish, who's gay, and it's not because they're gay that you don't like them. Just because they're an asshole. It may be because they're an asshole who happens to be gay or black or Jewish. So that would be my answer for the the Jew question. Um, but what if that person decides, hey? You know, kids are being brought up to hate us. They don't understand our ideology. You got to imagine. Neo-Nazis, to them, they're good guys. They think they're protecting something. Even back in Germany, they thought they were protecting something. They're trying to save the world. And people that oppose them don't understand them. Sound familiar? So what if the neo-Nazis could get a foothold and like, we want to read stories to kids that have them considering things in a different perspective because they're not being taught uh, a loving, inclusive perspective that includes our ideology, like our be, thoughts. How to be proud of their heritage or something. Yeah. And what if they wore this really cool-looking uniform, this shiny black, like beautiful, uh, a silver eagle, and that nice armband that's so colorful, so symmetrically pleasing? Mm. What if that's why your kid's kind of attracted? Like, wow, why is that guy dressed different? Like, wow, look at that neat shaved head or whatever. Kid doesn't know what it all means. It's just like, wow, look how shiny the uniform is. It's so neat. I'm kind of interested in that. It looks like a, a superhero or something. You would not take your kid to that because you oppose the ideology. So these bastards that act like it's just because their kid enjoys the uh, clownishness of the drag show, bullshit. It's because you approve of the ideology behind that, and your child is too young to understand what they're being fed. 
And I think that is disgusting. That's got no place with children. It's not like if you're the kind of person that uh, is not teaching your kid to hate groups of people. It's not like if you don't expose your kids to that, they're going to grow up and just be like bigots. If that was the the problem, then you'd want to expose them to all kinds of groups of of people because you don't want your kids to hate anybody. It's not about broadening their horizons or like getting them to know everyone for the same reason I just said because you're not taking them to neo-Nazis to really understand what they think. And then for you to decide yourself whether you oppose it, no, it's just Nazis are bad. We don't need to understand anything else. So you kind of get the people that uh, maybe you think are bigots against the drag show, don't you? They're bad. We don't need to understand anything else. Of course, most people I know do understand quite a bit about this movement, and it's based on what they understand that they oppose it. So did that address – you were asking me like what I thought about that. Yeah. I don't want to – like yeah. I said, you're carrying this episode. I don't want to steal your your momentum here. No, and I um like I said, I felt like it's it's not my duty. It's not my place to try and like how am I going to change someone's minds mind about something that they believe in? But just to make sure that you know even this guy who is very um, openly sexual, uh, he, you know, he's, and he's taking his kids to these events already, but just maybe to share with him, like, this is what people are upset about. It's not even that the kids are necessarily being taken to drag show story hours. It's that how does it go from innocent Disney-like princess story hour about feeling good about yourself and how to handle bullies to a little girl dancing for dollars. Oh, another thing he said is he didn't want, he didn't take his daughter to the more extreme uh, reading hours where apparently they teach kids how to twerk and they get into more sexually explicit stuff. And my response to that is why would you even dip your kid's toes into a spectrum that has an extreme that you don't want your kid to go to? For instance, I like the Nazi parallel here, you know, because Nazis are something that most of us uh, have been raised to see as bad, uh, justifiably so. Um, Why would you take your kid like, oh, we don't do the thing where they actually like have effigies of Jews hanging from trees, that's too violent. We just go to, you know, the the uh, the Nazi who just reads the like, like nice books about like why you should be proud to be white. Just kind of the the light stuff. Sometimes they goose step. Yeah. Why would you dip your kids' toes into anything that you don't want them to go further down? For instance, if I had a kid, I wouldn't take them to anything that has like degrees that get more and more what I would call perverse. No, we're not I'm not even going to set your feet on that path. I might take them to something that I want them if they you know, I would want to encourage them like let's say a nature thing. All right, let's go to the kindergarten level of that where you're just taking a walk outside. Maybe you're just reading books outside. It's a it's a path that I would want to set my kids' feet on, and if they did want to like get mm-hmm. super extreme, like survival and naturalism and everything, I'd be like, great. That is going to help you so much in life. That is so nourishing. So this whole idea of like, oh, but I don't do the perverted stuff, why the fuck would you even do the, less, the lesser degrees? It's a spectrum. It's yeah. a path. Yeah. And addressing kids, you know, part of the things I think he said that they read about there is like how to deal with bullies. 
bullies specifically about like gender preferences, things Mm -hmm. like that. Kids don't fucking have gender identities. God damn it. Kids don't have gender identities. We were all kids. Think back on your childhood. How much time did you spend talking about your fucking gender identity? Now, if you're a young person now, maybe quite a bit because kids are taught to have gender identities as if, you know, the way we used to talk is, are you a vampire or a werewolf? Uh, Which G.I. Joe would you be? That kind of shit. So this is the new thing, but it's got much uh, perverted, much more perverted implications. Now it's what's your gender identity? You're a fucking kid. You don't have one. Maybe you're a girl and you just feel like climbing trees. It doesn't mean you have to change your gender identity. You're just a girl who likes to climb trees. Maybe you're a boy who likes the color pink. That's not your gender identity. You just think pink's a cool color. When I got older, I had a, a greater appreciation of pink. Never worn it, would have worn it when I was a boy. As a man, I like pink. Sometimes I pick out pink. Um, it's just so fucking ugly. I, I just really hate this being impo- imposed on kids. At the very least, it's confusing. These are kids who still believe in Santa Claus, who can be told that a big fat man comes down their tiny little chimney and uh, leaves them presents and, and takes their milk and cookies and just flies off on flying reindeer. They're a kid that you don't trust necessarily to cross a busy road by themselves. And you're expecting them to be able to process what the fuck they're looking at when they're seeing a man dressed as a woman reading to them, talking about people bullying them for their gender identity. And inevitably, yeah. kids being the questioners they are, they're gonna somebody's going to raise their hand and ask that man why he's dressed like that, unless the parents have already brainwashed the kids so much that they don't believe they can ask that. Yeah, he did say that at the events that he takes his kids to, there is like a question and answer session. I would have, uh, I didn't ask him what types of questions or answers are given, but just also keep in mind that these adults who are dressed in drag, they are not necessarily, I don't think that they vet them for their uh, um, degrees or experience in working with children. Why are these adults able to uh, be in conversations, like very um, sensitive topics, conversations with kids that, you know, usually that type of thing is uh, more for someone who might have a degree in psychology or at least some sort of like person that is a teacher that has, you know, teacher certification. You know what I mean? Like, why well, I don't are we agree just with that trusting... Either, but... Like, well, I mean, I mean, there's the love of the experts, you know, but ultimately that type of information would be, uh, something that like a trusted adult, whether it's the parent or another family member or something like that, like that would be where the information comes from. Why are we just automatically trusting someone because they're a drag queen? That doesn't mean that they have a good, like, uh, philosophy of life. And granted, I haven't attended these things, but I'm going to go out on a limb here and assume that you don't have to attend these things very long before you run into a man who actually identifies as a woman, not just dresses up as a woman and explains like, I think it's fun to dress up as a woman when a kid asks, why are you dressed like that? But because this expresses what I truly am, what I truly am is a woman and it makes me feel more like myself when I dress like this. I, I, I'm showing the world what I truly am. What's a kid going to do with that? I don't even know what the fuck they're talking about. 
a kid's going to shut up and feel like, I trust the adults around me. This must be true. We all fucking know it's not true. These rotten goddamn parents and adults know that that man is not, in fact, a woman. And yet they're letting their kids get brainwashed by this. And what are these kids going to grow up to be, to think? How are they going to operate in this world? It's We all know that there's an agenda being pushed. And these adults that are just acting like it's just this neutral thing, like, oh, well, I don't have anything against a drag queen. Here's, here's what would be equal. Here's what would be if all the bigotry was removed. A man who everybody in the community knows goes to drag shows, dresses up as drag shows, gets to read to children. Not in drag, because he's not at a fucking drag show. That would be actually a community that doesn't have bigotry and hatred. That doesn't have anything like everybody is allowed. A stripper, who everybody knows is a stripper at night, can come to uh, and read books to kids, but with her clothes on. (laughs) Because she's not stripping. It's it's just, it's the insanity of our times, this this fucking Marxist bullshit that we all look, we all see it. The emperor has no clothes right there in front of us. We all know there is an agenda, an ideology being pushed, and a big part of this ideology is mental delusion, a complete break with reality. We all know it, and yet such a huge percentage, such a huge swath of our, our population pretends like it's not true, pretends like that's not what's going on. And then another almost big part of our population is so fucking scared, so terrified to be thought of as a bigot, to go against the tide, that they will let children be abused, be exploited, be propagandized and brainwashed by this shit before they might risk (gasps) offending a neighbor. I am so, so, in case it doesn't show, uh, disgusted with pretty much this whole fucking culture. I mean, it's I would have been against it even if children weren't involved, but when you start getting children involved, man, I mean, uh, that makes me feel violent. Yeah. So what do you think? Write to us. Um, Moving on from that topic, and I know we were going to keep this around an hour, and it's already over an hour. So I guess the only other thing uh, that I had on my list was another movie, and this one... It's also kind of timely because it was about a uh, a train derailment that involved a toxic chemical cloud. And the movie is called White Noise. And I guess it was based on a novel that was published in like 1985 or something. But, you know, there was this thing that happened this year, right? 2023, that was the train derailment in uh, East Palestine, Ohio. Well, that was the first one that I was aware of, and then there was another one in Ohio, and then apparently, from what you told me, there was one in uh, West Virginia, West Virginia, and, and then another in Alabama. Yeah. I mean, there's something happening with the trains, and whenever you see something like this that's standing out, that's covered by the news, that's like, uh, this is a little too much to be a coincidence, it's not a coincidence. I'm not sure what the agenda is, what, what change is being put in place, but you can bet there's some kind of change, but... Anyway, going back to the movie, there's this thing called predictive programming Mm. where uh, movies and shows will often – this happened for the pandemic. The Host. If you haven't seen The Host, a Korean movie, oh my god, watch that and keep in mind it was made right before the the pandemic. 
Yeah, and you got to get the Korean version and just use the subtitles. Now, the premise between predictive programming is it doesn't matter whether you agree or disagree or what you think about the topic. It gets you used to it. You're going to accept pretty much anything that happens if you feel more familiar with it. It has more of a feeling of like whether you're mad about it, oppose it, or whether you accept it. It's more like, yeah, that's how it happens. It seems familiar. You might not even remember you saw a movie, and that's why it seems a little familiar. But you accept it more readily. That's what predictive programming is. And so a lot of people, when this uh, these train derailments started happening, looked to this movie White Noise, which we had not seen. And they said, this is just like what happened in White Noise. Now, the title alone had me thinking, this is probably going to be some woke shit. Because <laughs> anything with the word white in it nowadays, I mean, you can pretty much bet it's going to be white bashing. You know, some white person doing something horrible to some person of color that just, you know, it was terrible. Um but actually, the movie turned out to be brilliant. It wasn't like that at all. I love and highly recommend this movie. It was the scenes, the the way they cut the scenes, uh, just the way they put the whole thing together, the nuance. I want to watch it again because it's one of those deep movies that you get you get through watching it and you're like, I think there was a lot more there than I just picked up. I need to watch that again. Um, at but, first, I thought we had the wrong movie because aside from there being a – like in the very first scenes of the movie, like a cacophony of noise, I was thinking, I can't watch this. I can't focus. Okay. The movie's called white noise, right? It's kind of brilliant because there's so many strokes of artistic genius. The end of the movie, like when the credits are rolling, there's this awesome, like, I guess you would say it's a music video, but it's the end of the movie, right? So there's a song playing and it's like, in this grocery store, it's just visually is just fantastic. Um, but in between the beginning and the end, we've got this story going on and the, the actual train accident, the train derailment doesn't happen until like the middle of the movie. So, um, one of the main like parts of the storyline is that this guy's (coughs) wife is hiding something. She's hiding a behavior. She's actually taking these pills because she believes that this pill will help her anxiety that she has around the fear of death. And this pill is a drug that when her husband finds out she's taking it, he tries to find out what it is and nobody's heard of it. Nobody's ever heard of this pill. He goes to pharmacists and everything. And uh, yeah, it's specifically to treat the fear of death. And so that's one of the main things I want to watch the movie through again now that I understand what that pill is to try to understand, like, I think they were really trying to say something deep here more than I picked up the first time because the way the pill, the side effects of it, like, we all have a fear of death. (laughs) So to treat that, like, what if we treated that like it's something that needed to be treated with drugs? And it, it was just really deep. Do you have any favorite scenes In the movie, like a favorite scene you'd want to share that you're like, that, I really enjoyed that part. Well, there was one scene where the husband, the father of this family is Adam Driver. And he plays a really good part. Like you usually think of Adam Driver, wasn't he in like, what was that, Star Wars or something? Yeah, he was Kylo Ren, Darth Vader's grandson. He's he's a really strange looking and sounding guy. And in this movie, he's also kind of strange looking and sounding. But the whole time, like... There's been this train accident. Um, oh, that was another good scene. Maybe you'll say that one. But the train, uh, it's, it's like 
there's smoke billowing out of this train derailment, train accident, and like there's this giant black cloud. And he keeps saying that to his family, like, oh, don't worry, like the prevailing winds, it, it won't come anywhere near us. And his kids are like, Dad, like, what are we going to do? And even his wife is like, honey, we should really, even if it's not coming this way, we should still kind of maybe have a plan. So they're like eating dinner. And uh, I don't remember exactly what calls the father, Adam Driver's character away, but he like looks out the window and he's like, oh shit. Like everything that he was trying to tell himself to like be calm and don't make a big deal out of it. All of a sudden that just goes away and he's like, okay, maybe we should leave. (laughs) So it took him like that long to realize what was happening. And uh, I just think that was really a, uh, a fertile uh, kind of tie into this whole storyline, especially about death. And he had a really interesting profession. He was a professor of like, I don't know what they called it, like Hitlerism or something. Like he studied. He was the main guy that uh, apparently like was the professor who studies Hitler. Yeah, and there was this other scene where he was um, having a uh, what an argument, a uh, I don't know, like it was with another um, professor or someone else that like knew a lot, and they were kind of playing off each other's knowledge and going through. And this. the other professor was wanting to be the expert in Elvis. He said he wanted Elvis to be his Hitler. <laughs> and I don't yeah. think it was any accident either, like their colors, like Adam Driver's a white guy and his thing is Hitler. He's become famous for his expertise on Hitler. And here's this black guy that wants to, his expertise is on uh, Elvis. And it was so refreshing to see like a movie called White Noise where there's a lot of like black and white people, but it's their characters aren't really about the, their color. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Like they're just the people. It's yeah. like you could have replaced any one of them with somebody else. And it's not what it's about. It's not a movie about racial tension or whatever. Yeah, thank God. But you just, yeah, you took my two. Oh, no. Those but... are my favorites. And, yeah, it was interesting, the the play of, like, this guy, uh, Adam Driver, he's teaching people over and over, like, how the culture can change, how things can go to shit. The <laughs> chanting, right. the chanting of all the Nazis and how they're celebrating death. And, you know, like it's his profession. He's the expert on that. It's emphasized. He's the big expert on that. And yet when things start going to shit around him, he's in such denial. Yeah. He's like, he can't believe things are actually going to shit. <laughs> And so it's kind of this really cool parallel between, like, if he'd been in Nazi Germany, he would have been the last person. Like, no, things will settle down. Things will settle. Oh, they're just worked up. I it's not really going to go anywhere. Yeah, they'll they'll not. get it out of their system. Yeah. You know, so I love the scene that you were describing where he's in denial. Everybody else is cleared out of town. They've loaded up. They're like, <laughs> big evacuation. The fucking cloud is from the train derailment with all the chemicals is, like, coming over. The police are going around demanding that people leave if they haven't already. Yeah, and there's this one scene where he just looks at his wife and like it's that final thing where they look and like maybe we should take this seriously yeah and that's when they jump up and start grabbing everything but it's so ridiculously like beyond like far away from when they should have actually gone so they're the last people to leave town but brilliant movie man i really enjoyed that yeah highly recommend it if again if you can find it for free i forget if we because we've gotten act like access to all the different um, subscription things at this house that we're staying at. So, uh, I can't yeah, really I'm sure tell you. I'm sure you can track it down. Yeah. If anything, wait for it. Maybe your, uh, 
local library will get it eventually. Because I think it came out last year. So, yeah, once again, very, uh, very timely. Almost right under the... Right under the wire there, right before the train derailment, it came out. So yeah, that's pretty much uh, what's been going on with our week. And it's been such a weird couple of weeks being inside and having the first cold I've had in four years. And other than dealing with the cold, really what I've been doing is just throwing myself into pottery. So, uh, you know, I usually come up with a list of things to talk about. I just haven't even been writing anything down Um I just feel like my energy has been like, I got to put it into pottery, and now that I'm sick, I got to put it into just trying to recuperate. So hopefully soon we'll get back on our feet, like we're about to go to the mountains, so things are going to get wilder for us again, and uh, we'll have more of those uh, wildlife topics to talk about. But yeah, it's been a weird couple of weeks being inside. Um, But man, the pottery. I mean, what more can I say about pottery? I can only describe pots for so long. I can't even show you a picture. But uh, it has been so satisfying and so fun. (laughs) So are you ready to close this episode up? I think so. Can you find that listener right in? Oh, yeah. Um, And, yeah, Teresa's tracking it down. Let's see. All right. Take me to the beginning. Oh, this is a long one. This is uh, Stephen from California. And, uh, yeah, Stephen, I'm not feeling well, man. I, I, you said it would be hilarious for me to try to do this in a surfer accent. Uh, I don't think I've got it in me. You, oh. Hey, can you do it? Oh, you do it in a surfer accent, Teresa. I don't know if I have it in me to do that, but. You got it. You can oh, do it. Dude. Oh, dude, T. I just listened to the latest Hobo Zen episode. I sound like Zoolander a little. And laughed about your comments on the package I sent. And thanks for the propers, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I should have smoked weed before this. I wanted to send you this email last week, but been too busy wage slaving and stacking bills for my eventual escape from society. I keep doing this thing, Stephen, you can't see me, but I'm like doing like the little, what do you call this? Little surfer dude thing with a hand. Oh, I got to jump in here. I don't know how seriously to take what you wrote right there, Stephen, from California. You will never stack enough bills to escape from society. Mm. That's one thing I've learned. There mm. is not a bank account number where you reach and it's like, now's the time. That is a good point because what really is going to be your escape is recognizing that the bills don't have any power over you anymore. Like the money is nice. It's not that we don't use money sometimes, but it's not what we base our life on. Do you say that's true? I'd say that's true. And I don't think Stephen from California would necessarily say he bases his life on money. But like I said, I don't know how he exactly means that. I just wanted to address that in kind of a – can you take that back? Uh, In kind of a – like an every person kind of way. I wanted to send you this email last week but been too busy wage slaving and stacking bills for my eventual escape from society. He might be kind of being sarcastic there, but it's just a good platform to address that because – I think people do get kind of caught in a trap of like, if I just work hard enough, you know, I'll reach this threshold. But if you really think about it, what's the money going to do? You know, I mean, even us, it's like we keep uh, re-upping our tank, which is good. But to really escape from society, it's more the things you do with your hands and... Or the knowledge that you acquire from not having so much money. Because when you have a lot of money, 
you can just keep on doing the same things. But when you don't have a lot of money, like you stop using credit cards and debit cards, bank cards, um, you start going to things where you can uh, get food for free or clothing for free. So that's how you start to pull away even further. And of course, we still have further to go because I can't, I can't um, sustain myself just off of the land as I am right now. Yeah. So however you mean wage slave and wage slave and has a negative connotation, if it feels like that, like you're doing work that you don't really want to be doing, uh, I just say, yeah, get out of that. You really don't need it. And um, as far as the, you know, maybe enjoy your work. If you enjoy what you're doing and you're making money at it, go have at it, you know. But so Teresa's about to uh, read a bunch of recommendations. We haven't seen all this stuff ourselves. We're looking forward to having this to uh, look at, to watch through the summer when we're in the mountains and we can't get on Wi-Fi or whatever. So it'll be a nice, like, you know, we can only have about one movie night a week in the mountains, which is really nice because it makes it special. It makes it something we can really look forward to. So uh, this will definitely last us through our uh, six months in the mountains. Yes, so. and we're very appreciative of what you did because it, it really means that you're like a super fan, you know, like, you know, you, you get us like you're understanding what's between the words that we say. Um, there's a lot of likes in between the words. Like I just, I can't do the surfer thing anymore. I just wanted to give you a rundown of the hard drive. I sent y'all with some recommendations. There's a shit ton of media on there that will take a while to get through, but here's some of my faves. I think oh, some of my faves I think you should check out sooner than later. Short films. Before you do anything else, watch Warlord. It's about an old man reflecting on his escape from and destruction of society as a little boy. It's got a student film quality to it, but won Best Short Film at South by Southwest in 2008. I've watched it countless times. It's right up your alley. That sounds really good. And once again, because we're around Wi-Fi right now, we're kind of like saving that. But yes, we will try to watch that first and foremost. YouTube videos. He's got YouTube, like the entire channel of YouTube videos on this uh, hard drive. He says, I like to be off-grid where cell service doesn't reach, so I downloaded entire YouTube channels about bushcraft, coal cracker, and primitive skills I want to learn while out in the wild. Check out Waypoint Survival for some great hobo tech. Primitive technology is fantastic, along with Chad Zuber, who lives in my neck of the woods. Definitely check out the Misfits folder for videos about the moneyless man himself, Daniel Suelo, Peace Pilgrim, and John Francis, the Planet Walker. John Francis is like the Black Peace Pilgrim who didn't speak for 17 years or ride in motor vehicles for 22 years, but managed to earn a PhD without saying a word. Watch his TED Talk and read his books in the books folder on the hard drive. I'm looking forward to that. It sounds interesting, but i got to say, with the description, I'm skeptical of him earning a PhD. That makes me kind of twitch. Although, I mean, you know, maybe he's going to bring some, drop some, like, serious truth bombs in academia. We might need someone... Academia couldn't recognize a truth bomb if it hit him in the face. That's what academia does, is it builds a fortress against truth bombs. That's true. And, well, I mean, there's so much to be said about not talking. (laughs) Yeah. Preach, Teresa. How do we do that? (laughs) 
Too bad. I mean, I, I don't know the guy, but that would have been interesting if he just, like, didn't speak, like, ever again. Like, I wonder what made him talk. Hopefully it wasn't the Ph.D. program. But, yeah, we'll check that out. <laughs> now I have a Ph.D. and I've got lots to say. All right. Next section of Stephen's write-in. Books. He says, I'm a huge Castaneda fan. In addition to the entire Castaneda library, I highly recommend you read Matrix Warrior, Being the One, which was the book that introduced me to Castaneda and Toltec philosophy. Getting Castaneda is another great book that distills down the teachings of Don Juan. All the other Toltec books are must-reads for a deep dive into the philosophy. Under the non-duality folder, read John McKenna. McKenna will totally bake your noodle. Prepare... McKenna will totally bake your noodle. Prepare to have your mind turned upside down. I'm looking forward to that. I've read all the the Carlos Castaneda books, but I haven't really read anything like other people uh, dissecting, you know, kind of considering that. So that should be interesting and, you know, give us a new uh, perspective on him. And I was wanting to read the Castaneda books over again myself because Gumby and I kind of read them together. And if you... If you read something out loud, sometimes you like, you know, your attention span drifts off. And I didn't get a chance to, like, I'm just, I suck at reading. But when I'm out in the mountains and I don't have, like, so many other distractions, read the internet. And I'm working on skills. Yeah, I will read that stuff as much as my little device will be um, charged. And yeah, uh, John McKenna. Did I say that? Jed McKenna. Not John. Jed. J-E-D. Okay. A note about the books. I have supplied the books in many different file formats, depending on what device you're using. iPad, Kindle, laptop, etc. Reading PDFs on the iPad would probably be your best bet. And he fucking sent us an iPad. Like, Stephen. Wow. That was so thoughtful. I, like, thank you. That's all I can really say to that is just thank you. Podcasts. Daniel Vitalis has some awesome interviews. Rewild Yourself is fantastic. Check out the interviews with Arthur Haynes. Also read the book A New Path by Arthur Haynes about Native American lifeways. TV shows. Mr. Robot. Great show on so many levels. So many great scathing monologues by the main character, (coughs) Elliot, and Christian Slater. The creator of the show has a lot of insightful things to say about modern society. I tried to watch that one time, and I got, like, just a little bit into the first episode. And I think, I don't remember it clearly, but I had the impression there's a lot of things that seem like they're kind of anti-society, but I feel like actually they're uh, that's the bait. And underneath what's actually happening on a superficial level is actually uh, more showing you the error of your ways if you're mm. anti-society. That's the impression I got, but I will go back to that and give it another chance because maybe that was just a quick uh, snap judgment I formed. and I uh, Yeah, and that was like maybe the first episode. Maybe he has like a... Uh, yeah, I'm not even sure I watched the whole first episode, so it's worth a revisit. Yeah, and a lot of people talk about Mr. Robot. I just, yeah, we just couldn't get into that first episode, so maybe it was just a day, like maybe we were just having a day. Movies, so many great films, but definitely watch Cube. Not only is it a thriller, but it has a lot of social commentary in that film. Being There is classic Peter Sellers. I've watched that one. It's a good one. There's some Illuminati shit in that movie. Ex Machina, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that right, 
has a thing or two to say about artificial intelligence, a sci-fi classic in my book. Obviously, peruse the hard drive at your own leisure. There are just a, These are just a sampling of some things that resonate strongly with me. Lastly, I want to comment on something Teresa brought up in the last, last episode in regards to a previous email I sent. I don't know which episode that was at this point, but yeah, I did say something and it was really awkward. Um, Stephen says, I often end my emails with, good luck, we're all counting on you. It's one of my favorite lines from one of my favorite movies, Airplane. But I want to say that you are doing important work with your podcasts. We totally, like, I totally thought that was some weird, like, CIA thing. Yeah, I remember you bringing that up, and it was so fucking awkward. Teresa will do this thing to me sometimes where she'll, like, bring up something like I'm supposed to have a response or, like, I'm supposed to have an opinion on it, and she won't have anything. And I'm like, why'd you bring it up? If I had an opinion or something to say about it, I would have brought it up. We spend so much time together, I think... That you can read my mind and I am wrong. She's the only one that thinks that. Anytime, like, you know how sometimes people finish their own, like, each other's sentences? Teresa, like, as much as we have in common, I don't think I've ever been around someone who so <laughs> consistently is wrong about what I want or what I'm thinking. I mean, if she finished my sentences, it would be like 99% of the time, like, absolutely the opposite of what I was trying to say. Like, for all the um, uh, the bullshit that astrology has brought to us, I feel like there was something in it that was like, maybe your signs shouldn't have gotten together. But there's like, because I'm on the cusp. I'm like Gemini Cancer and you're a Scorpio. So like my Cancer side and your Scorpio side should get along. But I am not, I think I'm more Gemini than Cancer. So it, like, very rarely fits. The only thing I really do is just cook for you. Like a Ferengi in somebody's butthole. (laughs) All right, Stephen, I'm getting back to your uh, comment, or your write-in here. He says, we're doing important work with our podcast. You both are very insightful and have a lot to teach. You sure taught me... (laughs) I can't read. You sure taught me a thing or two. Keep on keeping on. Keep getting it out there. With all the material I supplied you on the hard drive, you have endless things to talk about and comment on, so no excuses. Fuck yeah, Stephen. I know, right? And finally, Stephen says, I just wanted to say, good luck. We're all counting on you. (laughs) That didn't click until Stephen explained that. Now I can picture Leslie Nielsen every time, like, opening the cockpit door. Good luck. We're all counting on you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Steve. Yeah, and so I'm glad to share all those recommendations with our listeners, um, and we will definitely uh, talk about what we see as we talk about everything from buttholes to basically buttholes. I mean, yeah. it all comes it's, – it's circular, just like a butthole. <laughs> so – if you have any questions or comments or dirty jokes or anything to uh, write to us, we really enjoy getting uh, write-ins. Uh, you can contact us at www.escapingsociety.weebly, B as in butthole, dot com. Uh, we have a donate button, so if you are able and move to make a financial contribution, we definitely appreciate those. Helps us uh, get further down the road and uh, uh, funds our hobo lifestyle. Um, let's see. That's about it. We don't really, we don't really promote the YouTube channel anymore. Just watch something better. 
Um, or get outside. Got a Facebook page if you want to friend us on Facebook at Escaping Society. And uh, that's about it, isn't it? I reckon so. All right. Well, we will catch you next time. And like I said, we will, I think next time, when are you uh, done with your last pet sitting gig? Uh, what the, day of the week? I don't know. The 18th. I don't know what that day is. It's, okay. Well, possibly. It's a Saturday. Oh, hmm, that's going to be awkward. All right. We actually might have another damn, I don't know. We'll have to figure that out. Yeah, we're going to have to go somewhere. Eventually we'll be outside doing these podcasts again. And you know, one of the things I've learned about being outside and inside and all this stuff is our sense of self is not just, it's not like I'm Gumby in a house and then I'm Gumby in the yard or outside. It's like, I'm a different Gumby. Part of what I am at any moment is where I am. It's your habitat, man. Yeah. So really, like, it feels so awkward to, like, do these from a place of not just being inside, but having been inside all week. (laughs) It's like, I just, I don't know, I search my brain for uh, things that interest me or seem relevant, and I don't find the same content as I do when I'm outside. So I'm looking forward to uh, getting back to that. And kind of, this is a, uh, a bullet we're taking to make some money to, uh, like I said, help kind of fund our lifestyle. But I'm going to be watching two little dogs in the ghetto with, I think, at least one, possibly two other people in the house with me. So that'll be interesting. Yeah. Wow. And that's going to be like three straight weeks of having been inside with constant Wi-Fi. Teresa's going to have like culture shock coming back out into the, the wilds. It's going to be, yeah. Wow. Hmm. <laughs> but anyway, we will uh, see you soon. Bye. Bye. Oh, society sucks and we don't need it. It's killing your kids, so why do you feed it? They'll tell you to stay, but you don't need to heed it. You can give them the finger. There's no time to linger. So, thank you for listening to our song. It's not very good and it went kind of long. Don't care if you like it cause we'll be gone. Over that next horizon. We ain't got no address.